Welcome to East Hills Alliance Church. Real people experiencing real change because of a real Savior. Amen. This morning I want to talk a little bit about some guys who were also asking some of these questions of what is God calling us to do and where is God calling us to go? Uh, scripture tells us that Jesus had these 12 men that he gathered around him to do life with um, and to do ministry with. So before we dive in this morning to scripture, I need everybody to do me a favor. If you've got a bulletin in front of you, notes and announcements, I want notes side down on the table. Everybody stare at those announcements for just a second. No, note sides down so you can see the announcements because the announcements are very important. Actually, it's because when I thought about asking this question, um, I, I forgot that I put the answers in the notes. So uh, here's, uh, here's what I want you to do. At your table, in the next 45 seconds, name the 12 disciples. How many of them can you come up with? 45 seconds, ready, set, go. No Bible, no Google, no notes, okay? All right, all right. Uh, I promise there is no extra crown in heaven uh, for knowing all 12 disciples by heart. Uh, you can check your work now. The answers are on the other side of your bulletin. Uh, also, no judgment. No judgment if you could not come up with all 12. I love the exclamations around the room. Oh, yeah, that one. I totally knew that. I hear you. I hear you. Did anybody get all 12 without, without looking? Anybody want to be brave enough? No? Okay. I got to be honest. Before this week, I could not have done uh, all, all 12 uh, either off the top of my head uh, because some of them we have heard lots about and some of them not so much. Not so much. But the stories that these 12 men lived out have so much to teach us. They and their lives and who they are, so much to teach us. As the end of Jesus' life approached, he knew the end was coming, and he had some things he wanted to say to these 12 people that he had been doing life with, that he had entrusted himself and revealed himself to. And so he gathered them together for a dinner and a blessing and a new One of those 12 uh, that you hopefully named at your table, uh, he wrote an entire account of Jesus's life and ministry. And in that account, he tells the story of this dinner that we know as the Last Supper. So I'm in Matthew chapter 26, starting in verse 18. As you go into the city, he told them, you will see a certain man, this is Jesus talking, tell him, the teacher says, my time has come and I will eat the Passover meal with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus told them and prepared the Passover meal there. 
for Jewish people, the Passover was, and, and it is, a remembrance of God delivering them from slavery and from death, rescuing them and showing them mercy. And so it is in this moment, this very symbolic and important dinner that Jesus gets his friends together and says, hey, let's talk about something that's coming that's gonna be kind of a big deal. Matthew continues in verse 20. When it was evening, Jesus sat down at the table with the 12. While they were eating, he said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. Greatly distressed, each one asked in turn, am I the one, Lord? He replied, one of you who has just eaten from this bowl with me will betray me. For the son of man must die. But as the scriptures declared long ago, or as the scriptures declared long ago, but how terrible it will be for the one who betrays him, it would be far better for that man if he had never been born. Judas, the one who would betray him, also asked, Rabbi, am I the one? And Jesus told him, you have said it. John, who was also one of the 12 and also there, also wrote his own account of Jesus's life and in what is now John chapter 13, he recalls the story a little differently. John 13, starting in verse 21. Now Jesus was deeply troubled and he exclaimed, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at each other wondering whom he could mean. The disciple Jesus loved, now this is John talking about himself. That's how he refers to himself. The disciple Jesus loved was sitting next to Jesus at the table. Simon Peter motioned to him to ask, who's he talking about? So that disciple leaned over to Jesus and asked, Lord, who is it? Jesus responded, it is the one to whom I give the bread I dip in the bowl. And when he had dipped it, he gave it to Judas, son of Simon Iscariot. When Judas had eaten the bread, Satan entered into him. Then Jesus told him, hurry and do what you're going to do. None of the others at the table knew what Jesus meant. Since Judas was their treasurer, some thought Jesus was telling him to go and pay for the food or to give some money to the poor. So Judas left at once going out into the night. As soon as Judas left the room, Jesus said, the time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory and God will be glorified because of him. And since God receives glory because of the Son, he will give his own glory to the Son and he will do so at once. Dear children, I will be with you only a little longer and as I told the Jewish leaders, you will search for me but you can't come where I am going. So now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Now, love each other is not a particularly new command. This idea that we should love our neighbor has been around since nearly the beginning of scripture, centuries before Jesus was doing his ministry and teaching. So why would Jesus say it this way? A new command I give you. 
as one commentator puts it, wishes from dying lips are sacred. They sink deep into memories and mold faithful lives. The sense of impending separation here gives authority to his words and molds them into the shape of a command. Love your neighbor is an ancient command. But Jesus is saying, Jesus is about to show them to redefine in some ways love from being an act of caring to also being an act of sacrifice. Jesus is saying, I am about to put the love of God on display for you. And what I need you to do is to put the love of God on display for each other and for the world. What a holy and weighty command and expectation to lay on 12 people. So who are these 12 superstars, these amazing people that Jesus would call to take the most important message the world has ever heard and disperse it to the entire world? What kind of incredible characteristics do people need to have to be able to be called by God to something like this? And for our purposes this morning, to also look at their lives, look at these 12 that Jesus has gathered around the table and say, okay, who gets invited to the table? Who gets invited to the table by Jesus? Who are these 12? Matthew actually gives us the list, uh, including his own name and label, in Matthew chapter 10, starting in verse 2. These are these 12 guys who get invited to the table. Here are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, also called Peter. Then Andrew, Peter's brother. James, son of Zebedee. John, James's brother. Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew, the tax collector. James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, Judas Iscariot, who later betrayed him. Okay, let's talk about these 12 guys and what we know, and some we know a bunch about, and some we know a lot less. First, there's Simon, nicknamed Peter, because as you can see in the list, there are two Simons, which means somebody needs a nickname. And let's be real, if you get any group of guys together, they're gonna start slapping nicknames on each other, whether you want them to or not. So Simon gets to be Peter, and Jesus gives him this one, and Jesus is being funny, because Peter means essentially pebble, Small rock. And uh, first of all, Peter's personality is nothing very rock-like. Like if you're thinking of somebody stoic, go the other end of the spectrum and you get somewhere near Peter. And, and Jesus says, Simon, your name will be Pebble. And on this rock, I will build my church. And Peter gets tapped to be the one who leads the church movement after Jesus' death and resurrection. Jesus sends him out and says, hey, you lead them. You lead the charge. Peter, who also speaks before he thinks a lot, who's got a little bit of a temper, who's pretty brash and outspoken, who keeps sticking his foot in his mouth, who's got all kinds of regrets of things that he did and said, and it does not matter how many great things he does for God, those regrets just seem to keep sticking around, and then we stick them in scripture for the rest of us to look at 
for all of time. You ever feel like you've got some things in your life that you regret? <laughs> some things that you did or said that you wish you hadn't? You ever stick your foot in your mouth? You ever hurt some people, some people that you care about or make a fool of yourself because you spoke and, and then thought? Well, like Peter, you are invited to the table. Then we have Andrew, Peter's brother. Andrew who introduces Peter to Jesus. Andrew who jumped on this Jesus bandwagon before Peter did. Who after he makes that introduction essentially disappears from the pages of scripture. Have you ever felt like you were stuck in somebody's shadow? Like the people around you are just so much more impressive than you are. They're so magnetic and people just connect with them. Meanwhile, you're just standing on the sideline. Have you ever felt like you're the person in your family who has to clean up the messes? Like the other people accomplish these great things, but they create this wake behind them that you have to come along and make okay? Like Andrew, you are invited to the table. New set of brothers, James and John. Jesus nicknames them the sons of thunder. Ambitious, aggressive. You could probably infer they're a little loud sometimes. Do you have a little ambition in you? Do you want to be part of something great? Do something significant? Be in the midst of the big things that are going on? Awesome. Do you sometimes run people over trying to get there? Shout people down? Elbow people out of the way so you can be in the important spot? Not so awesome. And like James, you are invited to the table. John, the little brother, the youngest in the group. John, who would refer to himself in his own gospel simply as the disciple who Jesus loves, like somehow that love changed everything for him. Do you ever feel like you're just not lovable? Like, like, sure, you can convince some people to like you, but that's just because you do the song and dance, and if people really knew. Do you ever feel like the one that people just tolerate? They just kind of let you tag along? Do you ever feel like that phrase, God loves you, applies really well to everybody else around you, but probably not to you? Like John you are invited to the table. Then comes Philip. We know very little about Philip. Most of what we know about Philip actually comes from John's gospel. And in John's gospel, Jesus is continually asking Philip hard questions. Like in John's account of feeding 5,000 people, before Jesus does this incredible miracle and feeds them, he looks at Philip and says, hey Philip, where are we gonna get enough bread for all these people? 
It may be this Philip, it may be a different one who we see in the book of Acts, who's called upon to evangelize to a traveler coming through from a far distant country in a different culture. And Philip is tasked with explaining to him the history of the scriptures and how they all point to Jesus. Do you ever feel like maybe God is testing you? Like the things God is asking you to do just seem so impossible. Like how could God really expect that of you? Actually expect you to attempt that because what he's asking of you just seems so much bigger than anything you could ever do on your own. Like Philip, you are invited to the table. Bartholomew, always attached to Philip in these lists, named Nathaniel in John's gospel, named Nathaniel in church history. According to church history, Bartholomew is the one who went out to the farthest east places of the known world at the time and was planting churches over there and has come down to us through history as Saint Nathaniel. In John's gospel, Nathaniel is skeptical of Jesus. Not sure what to make of this traveling preacher guy until he's introduced to Jesus. And Jesus says, hey, Nathaniel, I saw you sitting under that tree. Now, we don't know what Jesus saw. We don't know what Nathaniel now knows Jesus knows. But whatever it was, Nathaniel is now convinced, convinced of who Jesus is, that he is who he says he is. You ever feel a little skeptical of Jesus? A little skeptical that all this good can't really be that good, can it? That this guy claimed to be perfect, but that, I mean, come on, who's perfect? Or maybe for you, you feel completely unseen, like nobody notices. Like this idea that God actually sees you and sees who you are and sees your troubles and sees your hopes. I mean, that can't really be true. Who, who really would see you? Like Nathaniel, you are invited to the table. Speaking of skeptical, Thomas goes down in church history as doubting Thomas because when his friends came to him and said, hey, Jesus, who, you know, we all watch die. Yeah, he rose from the dead and he's actually alive. Thomas had the audacity to go, uh-huh, good one, guys. I'll believe it when I see it. Thank you very much. I'm a little defensive of Thomas because I identify a lot with him. I... Do you have some doubts? Do you ever wonder if God is actually good? You ever wonder if God is actually real? I mean, sure, you were raised in this maybe. Sure, it sounded good when you were in college, but I don't, I don't know. Some days the world just seems so broken. Could God actually be good? Like Thomas, you and your doubts are invited to the table.
Matthew is next in Matthew's list and he labels himself as the tax collector. He didn't have to do that. And nobody would want that label. The tax collector was the scum of Jewish society. They were the ones who had betrayed their own people by collecting taxes from the Jews to pay for the Roman occupation. They were outcast. If looked at at all, looked at with scorn. Matthew says, yeah, yeah, that's me. That, that was me. You ever feel like the outcast? You ever feel like people would just rather sideline you and go about their lives without you? You ever betrayed people that you love and care about? Turned your back on them in some way? Ever felt rejected by those closest to you? Like Matthew, you are invited to the table. Second James on our list, which again, people gotta have nicknames and we gotta differentiate. James goes down in church history as James the Less, which is not my favorite nickname of all time, poor guy. And that's about all we know about him. Have you ever felt less than the people around you? Not as skilled, not as talented, not as brave. Every time you play the comparison game, you lose. <laughs> and you seem to play it a lot. <laughs> like James, you are invited to the table. Thaddeus. Now he's Thaddeus in Matthew and Mark's lists. In Luke's list, in Luke's account, he is listed as Jude or Judas, which given what we know about the other Judas, you can see why Matthew and Mark might want to give him a different name to go by because you would hate to have that be confusing for people. Thaddeus. Thaddeus we know nothing else about. We don't really hear his name in church history. We don't see him anywhere else in scripture. Have you ever felt like your name just doesn't matter? Like you're not really making an impact? Worry nobody's gonna miss you when you're gone? You look around at people 10, 15, 30 years younger than you who seem to be changing the world and you go, what have I done with my life? Like Thaddeus, you are invited to the table. Maybe you have a reputation that you just can't seem to escape. Maybe it's your fault, maybe not. But it doesn't seem to matter how many years go by, how many decades, the people who were there, who were around, they can't seem to let that go. That's just how they know you. Like Thaddeus, you are invited to the table. Second, Simon on our list. Simon the Zealot. 
The Zealots were a group of political activists who wanted to use political means and sometimes violent means to overthrow Rome's occupation and put the religious people in charge. And when he got called by Jesus, he must have thought that this was the answer to his political dreams, that he was gonna follow Jesus right into the heart of the Roman occupation, take it over and set things right, set things the way he wanted them to be. And Jesus went out and he chose to die. Do you have some political passions and interests, aspirations? Would you like to see the wisdom and grace of God involved in the leadership of the place that you live? Like Simon, you are invited to the table. Have you ever felt disappointed by God? Like you were just sure that God was gonna do this thing and then it doesn't happen. You prayed and you prayed and you just knew that God was gonna come through and you had faith he was gonna come through and it just didn't happen. You were so sure life was gonna go one direction and then it went a completely different one. And you don't know what to do with a God who doesn't meet your expectations. Like this, Simon, you are invited to the table. And then last and most infamous, Judas, the betrayer, the one who would betray Jesus, the one who followed Jesus around for years just to seal his fate with a kiss, the kiss of death planted on the cheek of God. Do you ever feel like God will never accept you? That you're too broken, too messed up. You've messed up in too many ways, too often. God can never actually welcome you in. I mean, you can show up at some church things, you can fake it and you can smile, but you know, you're just convinced. God will never accept me. I won't ever be like those church people. They won't accept me and neither will their God. Judas was at the table just hours before he betrayed Jesus. So yes, it was before, <laughs> but he knew what he was gonna do. And so did Jesus. No one has ever broken God's heart so badly that they are not invited to the table. Whatever it is that you have done, like Judas, in your shame and your brokenness, you are invited to the table. These are not superstars or standouts. They are like Nathan said earlier, ordinary, everyday people, heroic, messy, broken people, people who are invited to the table. Around your tables here, I would love you to take a couple minutes and ask this question, answer this question. Next two or three minutes, chat at your table about 
which disciple or disciples you identify most closely with and why? Which disciple do you identify most closely with and why? I hope that conversation continues as uh, we head toward lunch and those kinds of things today about what God may be teaching you about you based on the story of these guys. In a few minutes, we are going to take communion together. Uh, As many of you know, you don't have to be a uh, member of East Hills to take communion with us. We just ask that it means something to you, that the death and resurrection of Jesus, you uh, know and agree that that means forgiveness and new life for you, that you would say you are attempting to follow Jesus with your life. 
uh, as we head toward that moment, if you need a gluten-free option, uh, there are some of those little packets uh, in the back in the welcome area. If you've never made that decision to follow Jesus, to connect your life to him for whatever reason, there is no time like now to do that. To say in your heart, to say out loud, if you want to, Jesus, I, I want to follow you with my life. That like these 12 guys, I have some things in me that are messed up and I need your forgiveness and I know I need to follow you and let you lead my life. It is to this table, this table of love and forgiveness, of sacrifice and remembrance, that you are invited. Not, not just by, by me or by us, by church people, you're invited to the table by Jesus. I'm not inviting you. <laughs> I'm telling you that Jesus is inviting you to the table. No matter what you have done, no matter how you feel about yourself, you're invited. No matter what you did last night, last week, or last century, Jesus is inviting you to the table to experience the love and forgiveness of God. Now, a quick heads up. This invite does come with an expectation. The words of a dying man, love one another. You don't have to earn this invite. This invite is extended to you because of what Jesus did, but it does come with an expectation that you will display the same sort of lay down your life love for others that Jesus did for you. And it may be that that begins to sound easy. Like, okay, all I gotta do is love the people around me and I sat with people I like, so great. Uh, I can love these people, that's, that's fine. I would like to remind us who is invited to this table. The brash and the cynical. The overwhelming and the frustrating. The skeptics and the politically motivated, the ambitious and the betrayers. These are the people that we are called to lay down our lives to love because we are these people. We are all here by the invitation of Jesus to forgive and be forgiven, to love and to be loved. And so we remember together, we come together to remember and to love. And one of the most powerful ways that we can love one another is by praying for each other. And so in just a moment, I'm gonna lead us through remembering, through taking the elements of communion. And uh, if you need to, to grab some because you need more for your table or whatever, this is one of those times where I'll tell you it's okay to steal in church. Just grab some from another table, it'd be great. And then we're gonna leave a little time to pray at our tables. You can pray out loud for each other. You can sit silently. If we just have some awkward silence for a while, that's okay too. 
If you have a prayer need that you'd be willing to share with your table, by all means, share it briefly and pray for one another. Or maybe you just wanna pray together, thanking God for his forgiveness and what it has meant in your life. So let's remember, and then let's pray together, and we're gonna let the words of Matthew lead us through this taking together. As they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, take this and eat it. This is my body. Let's remember the body that was broken so that we could be made whole. Let's eat together. And he took a cup of wine and he gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them and said, each of you drink from it for this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. Let's drink and remember that our sins are forgiven. Take some time to pray for one another at your tables, and then I will close us in prayer in just a few minutes. Father God, would you hear our prayers this morning? Father God, I thank you that you do hear our prayers, that you have invited us to be present with you, that you invite us to come and experience your love. God, we ask for healing. We ask for you to fill us with your hope. We ask that as we bring our brokenness to you, that you would make us whole. Father God, we, we thank you for the story that you're writing in our lives. Whether there's parts of it we would change or not. We thank you that the hope, for the hope that you give us based on your character, your goodness, your forgiveness, and your love. Father, would you invite us deeper into that love that we can experience yours and share it with one another. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for checking out our podcast. Find out more or connect online at easthillsalliance.org.